Amen. All right. Hey, how many guys ever heard the saying, crime does not pay? Raise your hand. Praise your God. And we all know that because that's a popular phrase, but hopefully we should all know that because as Christians, that's something you shouldn't do, right? Okay. Well, crime doesn't pay. Crime, of course, is not just unbiblical. Frankly, crime is uh, dumb. Okay. And if you don't believe me, folks, I got some dumb criminal behavior out there. If you want to show a low IQ, not just unbiblical behavior, which I don't recommend, by the way, <laughs> then commit some crimes, okay? Let me, you tell me how this goofy this is, and every one of these is legit, okay, what these people did trying to commit a crime. Here's the first one. Two men actually tried to pull off the front of an ATM machine by running a chain from the machine to the bumper of their pickup truck right? What are you thinking? But instead of pulling off the front panel of the machine, the machine pulled the bumper off their truck. So obviously it backfired. They got scared. They left the scene. Here's the problem. But instead they left behind their bumper, which guess what had on it? License plate number. (laughs) Got you caught on that one. Here's one. One day this company, I kid you not, called Guns for Hire, which stages gunfights for Western movies. You know, they got a call from this 47 year old woman. Watch this. The only problem was she wanted to have her husband killed. She thought it was a hitman service. You know, guns for hire. <laughs> got four and a half years in jail for that one. Okay, that was dumb. This guy walks into a convenience store, Circle K. He puts 20 bucks on the counter. He asks for change, right? Well, when the clerk, uh, clerk opened the cash register, he pulls out a gun. He says, give me all the cash, right? In the register. Well, so the man took the cash from the clerk. He fled, leaving his 20 bucks on the counter. And so guess how much did he get? He got 15 bucks. <laughs> he lost five bucks on the deal. Watch this. Charged with speeding, a man from Florida made his appearance in court. And he was going 90 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. But he's, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. You know why? He actually said this. He told the judge he'd just taken a laxative and obviously was in a rush to get home. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, whatever, let's just move on. Now, this one's wild. Listen to this. An elderly woman just left the store and she's returning to her vehicle. She found, true story, four strange males sitting in her car. So she's obviously frightened. So the woman dropped her shopping bags, drew her handgun, right? Kid you not, she told the men that if they didn't get out of her car right now, she's gonna shoot them. So the four men ran off quickly, whereupon the lady got into the car, but she soon discovered her key wouldn't fit. And that's because she realized her car was the identical one parked a few spaces down. Yeah, so she drove to police station to report the story. The story, the officer on duty was laughing hysterically. He pointed to the other end of the counter where four pale men were reporting a carjacking from a mean old lady with a gun. (laughs) And no, that was not Mary Bernard. I know you're thinking that. I know you're thinking that. But that's not who that was. Okay, we won't say who it was. Okay. But folks, crime doesn't pay. We know that, right? Criminal behavior is not just unbiblical. Hello. It sometimes it exhibits, that's pretty dumb. It's dumb behavior, okay? And believe it or not, folks, you know there's always a punchline, and this is the one. And did you know I've discovered, unfortunately, some even dumber behavior than that? And frankly, it is, on a spiritual level, criminal. And that's when we, the church, walk around acting like we got this thing called practical amnesia. I mean, you talk about dumb spiritual criminal behavior. What are we doing? We say we know who we are as a church, of course. <laughs> but what do we do? We walk around acting like with our lips and our lives. We don't even know who we are as a church. And it isn't just detrimental in our walk with Christ. It keeps other people from coming to Christ. Okay? So to avoid that atrocity of you and I, living like we got this practical amnesia thing, we're going to continue our study called the character of the church. Now, by way of recap, because that's what we do. Okay? We've already seen the first thing we need to realize if we're going to get rid of this practical amnesia is the church is the body of Christ. Then we saw that we are a body of one. The third thing was a body of hope. The fourth thing, a body of joy. The fifth thing, the body of love. And last time, the church is a body of 
peace. Remember that? It's still hard to do for me personally, but we made it through it, okay? Uh, but what we saw in that study, if you were here, the American church were actually behaving peaceless when the Bible says we should be peaceful. Jesus said, I'm not, maybe not mine. I give you my what? Peace. Irene. Remember that? He said he gave it to us. So why in the world are we walking around like we got no peace? Well, as we saw, unfortunately, it's because we lost our confidence in God. We're no longer content in God. And we're no longer courageous in God. We flat out just don't trust him. And what the problem is, we're acting like God doesn't know how, uh, what he's doing, how to take care of his kids. I mean, he's just God. Okay? And again, it's not just, well, gee, I'm, I'm not giving the impression that the church is a body of peace. And no, folks, it's giving the lost person in this world the impression that the church of Jesus Christ is just a bunch of fearful, worried, stressed out people. Now, here's the point. The, the loss is not dumb, folks. The conclusion is this. Listen, if that's all the better that a Christian's God could do, why would I want to worship that God too? Apparently, he ain't that good enough to take care of you because you're freaking out just like me, right? It's not a good witness but that's not all the seventh thing we need to know about the church if we're going to stop acting like we got this practical amnesia is the church is a body of strangers now this is fun i've been waiting all week for this action step turn to somebody and say hey you're strange no i mean it really you're really strange it feels good get it off your chest okay but I'm not making that up, folks. That's actually what the Bible says. We are to look upon ourselves on this earth, okay? Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, of course, to stall time. I haven't shared this incredible truth in a while. So for those of you who don't know, Hebrews is the only book in the Bible that commands that men must brew the coffee. Hebrews, ha, ha, ha. I'm stalling time, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Now we're gonna talk about one aspect, one character, and that of course is Abraham, okay? And why is he listed in this hall of faith? Because man, by faith, man, he looked forward to something that hopefully we would as well. And God says, man, now that's my guy. That's my representative on earth. But let's see why God said that about him. Here's what it says, verse eight, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, listen to this, I love this. When he when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, listen, even though, ladies, he did not know where he was going. Biblical justification, why men don't need a GPS, we don't need a map, we don't need instructions. Yeah, I'll be walking home, but let's move on, right? Uh, by faith, he made his home in a promised land like a what? A stranger, huh? A stranger in a foreign country. In fact, listen, It was all temporary for him. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of him with the same promise. And why? Why did he live like that? Because he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder, what? Is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him God faithful who had made the promise. And so, sure enough, God delivered. So from this one man, even though he was good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised on earth. They only saw them and welcomed them from a what? from a distance, right? And they admitted that they were, here he says it again, aliens and what? Strangers on earth. In fact, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking and longing for a better country, a what kind? A heavenly one. Therefore, when that's your lifestyle, when that's your attitude, when you're a stranger on this planet, what's God say? I love this. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
you may be seated. And what a city it is, man. When you read in Revelation, you're talking about the new heavens and the new earth, it is going to be totally decked out. The pavement is made of gold. The, the walls, it's just precious gem. God has spared nothing in what he is going to make with the new heavens and the new earth. But here we see Abraham, the reason why he lived in tents and he roamed around his whole life. Even though God made these fantastic promises was because obviously the real estate, John, was just, it was too high. The, the interest rates were just, you know, bloated. He, he didn't have enough money for a down payment. That's what, his credit was bad. I mean, all those years in college, he made some unwise decisions. He just couldn't get the credit rating. He could, oh, I'm sorry. The reason why Abraham lived this temporary nomadic life the whole time, even though he had this amazing promise from God, is clearly, he said, he lived as a stranger on this earth. It was literally with him, literally a temporary camping trip. And when you're on a camping trip, as cool as that is to eat those hot dogs that are extra super crispy, because you burned them to a crisp. And after a while, when you're looking for the wood, of course, you're in the, the forest and you got the pine. You ever get pine sap on you? The pine, that stuff don't even come off, right? And it only comes off, then you got five pounds of dirt all over you and you start looking like Sasquatch hands because it can't get off. Hey, that's cool for a couple days, but isn't it good to get home? Okay, praise God, I am excited when I get home, okay, from that. Okay, but why? Because it's temporary. Now, could you imagine if I had to live that whole time all that way? I don't know about you, but every week, if you guys showed up with Sasquatch hands, it'd freak me out, right? But you get home, that's the real place. That's the place you're really looking for. And so my point is, when you're camping, what do you do? You don't put the stakes in super deep. You don't sit there, well, I guess it's time to install plumbing. No, we've got to make sure that we have a jacuzzi in the backyard. we got... No, because it's a temporary trip. Abraham lived in tents. He was a nomad the rest of his life. He had these amazing promises of God. But listen, that promise he realized was not here on earth. And so that no matter what happens on this earth, don't put all your eggs into this basket. Don't act like this is the only thing you got. This is just a temporary camping trip. Act like you're literally a stranger in a strange land because there's a land coming eternally that is the real promise. Live like that. Now, the point is, what did God say when he lived like that? Crone translation? That's my son, man. That's, my, that's Abraham, man. That guy's awesome. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure he's in this Hebrew hall of fame, man, with faith. That guy had faith. Look what he did, man, this whole time. And it started with him. He didn't have all the track record that you and I got today. Looking back, 2,000 plus years of biblical history. God just called him out. He said, sure. What do you want me to do, God? What's that? You got something better, a heavenly country? Mm-mm. I'm going to live like a stranger my whole time here. And God says, man, that's my man. Now, how many guys would like to have God say that about you? I would hope so. hope we all would, right? But here's my point. I mean, surely we know this then, right? Surely we know as Christians, this is just a temporary camping trip. And that while we're on this earth, we, we don't put the stakes in too deep. And we live this life like we're strangers in a strange land. This isn't our eternal home. That comes later. We don't get distracted. And then people look at you and I as we live like that, just like Abraham, they go, look at those people. That is very strange behavior of them. I mean, I mean, they, they, they could give a rip about what's going on. They don't get bogged down with these details and the wickedness of this wicked world system. It, you know, it's almost like they got something better to live for. And then they go, hey, can I have that? How'd you get that? Where do you get that? Can I have that? I'm so that's, that's basic Christianity, right? We know that we got something better to come and to not act like this is all there is. Unfortunately, that's not what's happening today. 
The church today, you look, folks, it doesn't look like we're strangers living for the things of heaven. It looks like we've been seduced to live for this earth. And so my question is, how in the world do we get like this? How do we get into this mindset where we act like this is all there is? Jesus didn't just come to save us from sins. He came, of course, to save us from hell, but he came to save us for what? Just to somehow eke out an existence or try to beat out the other person the rest of the time on earth? No, for what? For heaven. And then when we live like that, the loss is like a moth to a flame. So what happened? How did we get off track? Well, that's what we're gonna deal with today. The first reason why we no longer are strangers on earth is because we've exchanged, listen, God's dream for the so-called American dream. And the American dream is not God's dream. You might as well just stick your head in the wall, okay? It's about as what we're doing. But let's take a look at our text here. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 25. Paul says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might climb the corporate ladder because that's what life's all about. It's just about this world and being successful in this world. And I gotta somehow make it in this world and my mindset this world. No, he didn't say that. He said, I become all things to all men that by Paul's, I might what? Save some. What is Paul's heart? I gotta do what I gotta do down here. I gotta make adjustments. I gotta focus on this. I gotta, I gotta work with that person. I gotta work in, I gotta try this angle. I gotta spend my time doing what? To share the gospel is what Paul is talking about. And he says, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its what? It's blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So what do you do? You run in such a way as to get that prize right? Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, right? It's common sense, right? They do it to get a crown that will not last. But listen, but we do it. Why? To get a crown that will last how long? Wow. Why did Paul bust his back? Why did he become all things to all men? Why in the world was he so uh, concerned about in this short time on this world, I've got to do everything I got to do to share the gospel. Why? Because he was going for something that lasts forever. He was looking forward not to this earth, but the earth, the world to come to get a reward, to get a crown. Revelation 4, to lay at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Why did he do this? Why was Paul so concerned that with what short time he had on this earth, I've got to do what it takes to share the gospel? Well, it's because Paul had the gift of evangelism, unlike me. I got the gift of scorecards. Because that's my job. That's what I do. I come to church services to show how spiritual I am. And I sit there and I do nothing. Oh, but I will tell everybody what to do and how to do it. And I will give them a score, good, better, ugly. Because that's my mission in life. No, I, I do, I'm a Christian. See what I'm going to do? I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm just going to look at people. And somehow by looking at them and keeping my mouth completely shut and being a secret agent Christian, that somehow through spiritual osmosis, they will be able to understand the gospel and get saved. That's my mission. Excuse me? Paul says, I will do whatever it takes. I will speak up. I will risk my life. I will bust my back to share the gospel. And he later says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring what? Good news. What? You have to do something. If you say nothing, nothing happens. You have to speak up. But the problem is, is that even our mindset? But the reason why Paul did this is because, you know, he just had that gift of evangelism. No. Is sharing the gospel only for certain people? Read the Bible, Matthew 28. Go into all the world speaking to who? Every born again Christian. Get out there and share the gospel to the ends of the earth. You can't just say it's just for some people. 
But no, no, maybe Paul did it because his pastor, you know, he preached his sermon, he got guilty. You know, and Paul said, I better, I guess, I was pressured. No, he, it's that Christian peer pressure. That's what it is. My, my Christian buddies just, you know, they're just, I just felt so, I, I had to, no, it's to fill some sort of legalistic Christian quota. And that's why I've got to share. No, Paul said the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm working towards something not on this earth, but something in heaven that lasts forever to lay a crown at the feet of Jesus Christ. How's that happen? You share the gospel. And when you live for that, that shows you what? My heart is not in this world. That while I'm in this world, I'm telling people about eternity and how to get there through Jesus. And God says, I'm gonna give you something that lasts forever. I'm gonna give you a crown. As we saw before, there's five different crowns mentioned in the scripture. You don't get to heaven, right? Then you say, hey, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, I got five, John, you got three. Loser. We don't do that. Revelation 4, we, we lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ because he even gives us the ability to earn the crown. But it's still a crown. Don't you want to get there and share something with Christ? So that's what Paul says. That's, that's, that's my dream. That's what I'm working at. It's God's dream. Not to get distracted in this world. Not to live for this world. But to live for the world to the come. And I have one hand on the cross. And the other one I'm reaching out to the lost. Every day. All things to all men. I've got to share the gospel. I'll guarantee you Paul got that crown. But what about us? Is that how we live? Are we, do, or do we even know about the crowns? What reward are we looking for? Is this the reward in heaven? Is it the reward of laying rewards at the feet of Christ? Or we've been seduced? We just want the rewards here and now in this wicked world system. Are we distracted? But surely we know that this world is a ticking time bomb. We've seen before, one day it's going to blow up. It literally is going to blow up. God's going to blow up this planet. Did you know that? And the whole universe before he does the new heavens and the new earth. And so what's the point? If you knew literally that a planet was going to blow up, you had that knowledge and you had the way out before it blew up, what's the logical conclusion? Get out there and tell as many people as you can. Now, maybe they're gonna say no, but oh, well, at least you tried. At least you gave them a fighting chance. That's our mindset. Do we not realize that this wicked world system is not going to last forever, which frankly is good news, but everything in this world is going to one day blow up? So get busy sharing the gospel. But that's not what we're doing. That's God's dreams for us. Why do you think we're still here? God is not willing that any should perish. So who's his hands? Who's his feet? Who's his mouthpiece? It's us. But what are we doing? With our hands, with our feet, with our mouthpiece. We're not living God's dream. We're living for this thing called the American dream. We don't live in hopes to take others with us to retire in heaven. It's all about somehow retiring here on earth. Is it, wait a second, Pastor Billy. Wait a second, wait a second. Aren't we supposed to be wise stewards for our financial future the best that we can? Of course. Of course. But here's my point. But not at the expense of taking nobody to heaven with you. Not at the expense of never sharing the gospel. Not at the expense of, of refusing to share the gospel and all the thing that you want to invest in is in the stock market instead of saving people from hell. That's the problem. That's when we're sidetracked. And besides, stop and think about it. Have you ever stopped and think about this so-called American dream that everybody's just running after and you wonder why people don't pay attention to us when we share the gospel, if we do? One guy puts it this way. He says, here's what you do. Here's what life's all about. Here's your dream. Start studying when you're about seven years old real hard. 
then grow up and get a good job. And from then on, get up at dawn every day, flatter your boss, crush your competition, climb over the backs of your coworkers, be the last one to leave every night, squirrel away every cent, avoid having a nervous breakdown and a premature heart attack, and don't forget to get a facelift. Do this for 30 years, holidays, weekends include, and by the time you're ready to retire, you might have your money, you might not even be alive. That's our dream? That's what Christ is saved us for? Are you kidding me? When you take a look at it, folks, this so-called American dream, I call it God's nightmare. Of course you gotta take care of yourself. Having a, you gotta have money. I'm not saying don't be responsible. Be responsible. Take care of your needs but not at the expense of living for Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel. That's where it's out of balance. But think about it. That's how you want to live. There's a side effect. And that side effect is with the lost. Because they're watching you and I live like that. And it isn't just you and I living like that. Guess who also is living like that? The world. So where's the difference? Where's the draw? Where's the distinction? Why do I need Jesus? The American dream, listen, is nothing but a hellish trap that keeps you and I from saving others from hell. Can we just deal with it? The American dream is nothing but a hellish trap that keeps us from saving others from hell. Not only when is the last time did we witness to anyone but every day becoming all things to all people. Today, God, do we even pray, God, today, I want to share, open the door with somebody. I can't let a day go by without sharing the gospel to somebody. Do we even pray about that? Do we even pray for our family? Do we pray for our neighbors? Coworkers? Do we even have that mindset? Where's our mindset? Is it on this world? I need to spend my time. I got I to gotta climb that ladder. I got I to do this in the world and that in the world. And you don't even think about the gospel. That's just not a dumb thing to do in our walk with Christ. It's a stumbling block for somebody coming to Christ. Listen, because it's a no-brainer. Put yourself in the non-Christian's point of view and they're watching you live like that. If retirement on earth is better than retirement in heaven, then why in the world would I want to even go to heaven? Apparently this Jesus stuff and getting saved ain't that big of a deal because it's not to you. Do you see the danger? We need to get back to being strangers. Yes, we're in the world, just not of the world. Yes, we got to traverse in this world like Abraham. We need a house. We need a a, a tent. We, We gotta have food. We gotta whatever, but I'm not getting distracted. I'm not putting my stakes in too deep because I'm working for that place that's eternal and this whole planet's going sky high and so I want to be faithful like Paul too I got to get busy sharing the gospel that's why I'm still here the second reason why is because we've exchanged treasures in heaven for trash on earth it's not just that we live for this world and this world's mindset that we got here's what you do here's what your life's all about you got to get this education to get all this and do this and you got to that and you're powerful and all this stuff money It's not just the mindset of this world. They seduce us with the things of this world. Okay? Because apparently that's why you have to be successful in this world is to get as many things in this world. 
You see what I'm saying? It's like a two-bang punch, right? But obviously, of course, that's not what the scripture says. First John 2.15 actually warns us about living like that, right? Do not love the world or anything in this world. Well, why not? Well, that's pretty common sense. If anyone loved the world, guess what? The love of the Father is not in you. A man's God, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, a man's God is that for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his joy, his passions, his enthusiasm. That's your God. And if it's not the God of the Bible that you get most excited about, enthused about, you give your energy, you give your time priority over everything else, then guess what? That's called idolatry. And that's why John says, if you live like that, as if God's blind and he can't see what's going on, you don't really love God. You know what you have in your heart, Christian? It's called an idol. You love something more than God. That's what he says. You can't fool God. If that's how you live, you're more concerned about the things of this world you're committing idolatry. You don't really love God. And he goes on. He says, in fact, it's not just that. You're actually choosing sinful things over God. Who saved you from sin? For everything in this world, the cravings of sinful man, the, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from this world. The world and his desires, what? Pass away. But the man who does the will of God, once again, here it is, lives how long? Forever. When you're loving God, your focus is on God, you're living for God, not the things of this world, guess what? You're storing up treasures in heaven. Once again, eternal aspects, right? Why? Because this world cannot last and will not last forever. It's going to pass, including the things in this world are going to pass. Every single item that we have is going to go away. You can't take it with you. What's Job say? Naked I came this world, naked I'm going out. You can't take it with you. Nothing. Everything we own. Go back to the house. Go back to the clothes. Go back to the toys. Go back to the money. You can't take it with you. So that's all you live for? Listen, it's not just that you can't take it with you. He said it's going to go past. When something has passed its time, it's passed its use, it's no longer good anymore, what do we do? We throw it into the trash. So basically what he's saying, listen, when you live like that, you're saying, God, thank you for saving me, but I'm living for trash. And not just trash, but sinful trash. Everything in this world, you pay, you name one commercial that doesn't seduce us by sinful methodology. How many guys would say that a vehicle comes in handy when you want to get around? Okay. And so that's how the commercials say. Here's a vehicle. Be a wise steward, right? It's economically feasible and it'll get you to point A and B in a reliable fashion. That's what all commercials do. Are you kidding me? What do they do? They appeal to sin. Every one of them. You get this truck. You'll be manly. In fact, you know what we're going to do as a dealer? Only this month. In fact, only this weekend. That's right. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We're going to give you this giant stick. A man stick. And you know why you need that man stick? Because when you buy this truck, the ladies are going to flock after you. You're going to have to beat them off of you. <laughs> get this truck now. See, that really is what they say. Have you noticed the commercials don't say anything about the product anymore? This is crazy. It gets even worse. I joke with my kids. You know, a commercial pops on. They, the latest one, uh, what's it? Uh, Matthew McConaughey, whatever. 
He's like some spokesperson for, was it Lincoln or something? I forget. That's not got to be the worst commercials of all. Here he is. He's in this car. All I know is it's a Lincoln. It didn't tell me about the tires. It didn't tell me about the engine. It didn't even tell me the price. It didn't tell me how does it run. I really don't even get to look at the interior. He drives through this colored smoke and he's cool. (laughs) Don't you want to be cool too? Ladies, it's the same thing. You got to be skinny. You got to wear this brand of makeup. You got to wear these particular clothes. Men, you got to drink this alcohol because we all know that if you're going to be a successful football player, you got to drink beer. That's what you got to do. I like what one guy said. He says, they call it Bud Weiser. It doesn't make any wiser. They should call it Bud Dumber. <laughs> but see what they're saying? You need this thing. Why? Because this thing will give you satisfaction in this world when nothing can satisfy except Jesus Christ. And so you're not just living for trash. You think that a pile of trash over Jesus Christ is going to give you satisfaction. Ah, the love of the Father is not in you. You've been seduced away. And what's the side effect of that? Guess who's watching? The family, the friends, the co-workers. Now that's how they live. But see, we're Christians and they're expecting something different. They're expecting at least a little bit of strange behavior. But what are we doing? We're living just like them. We live for trash on earth. We don't get excited about our glory surroundings in heaven. We get excited about a grand opening of a mall. But again, what's wrong with having a, a few nice things? Because we all know that every good godly Christian is one who lives in a cardboard box. No, that's wrong too. That's that other extreme. It's okay, it's the things. But the problem is when things become your God. That's idolatry. Oh, you can call it great for the economy. You can call it materialism. You can label it as consumerism. But God calls it idolatry. And it gets me every time this year. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. When he came into this world, he didn't have to. Philippians 2 says, man, he, he took on the form of flesh, became a man, became a servant, even obedient unto death on the cross. Why? To save us. That's what Christmas is all about. But they're already starting it, right? Get your patriotic duty to buy as much stuff to keep that economy going. Hey, I don't think that God's up there saying, well, you can't own nothing. And you got to live in that cardboard. No, I think he wants us as his kids to enjoy life a little. But listen, not at the expense of loving created things more than your creator. Not if your only concern is getting more stuff instead of serving Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel. One person put it this way. He said, our so-called American way of life is based upon people who are ready to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't know who in the end are people who don't even care. And the tragedy of all this is it takes a lot of money to buy all these things that nobody needs. In order to get that money, most of us neglect what's really important. We don't have time for many more relationships. And dare I say, we don't have time to invest in our walk with Jesus Christ. We don't have time to serve Jesus Christ. We don't have time to share the gospel of Christ. That's idolatry. And of all times when it escalates at the birth of Christ. You tell me that is not from God. Who do you think's behind that one? And again, you want to live like that? Trash on earth instead of treasure in heaven? I find that very strange. 
because we're supposed to be what? Strangers on this earth. We're living for something way better to come. But folks, once again, living for temporary things on earth not only leads to a hellish life, it distracts us from serving Jesus Christ and sharing Jesus Christ. If you want to do that, that's your choice. You need to wake up and realize it doesn't stop with you. It's not just dumb to do in your walk with Christ. That could be a stumbling block from somebody to come to Christ because they're watching you and they're watching me. And if that's how I lived, that's all I did. Every time I got up and every year, even including December, I joined the crowd and got crazy for stuff. Then here's what they're going to say. If trash on earth is better than treasure in heaven, then why in the world would I ever want to go to heaven? Because apparently Jesus and all this getting saved stuff and you talk about presents, you talk about getting the greatest present of all, the gift of eternal life, it ain't that big of a deal to you. Why would I want that? That's the horrible side effect of not living like a stranger on this world. One more to go. The third reason why we're no longer strangers on earth, we've exchanged a heavenly reward for a hellish rat race. You see, there's a horrible side effect that I've noticed. When you live for this world, it's all about this world, and I gotta succeed in this world, this world, that's all I gotta do, this world, I gotta do this, and then the things of this world on top of that, and I gotta, you get kind of restless. You get wigged out. We make jokes about it. It's called the rat race, right? Well, watch this, what the scripture says about those who choose to live for this wicked world system, even the Antichrist system, even during the seven-year tribulation. Revelation 14, 9 through 13, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury. And the smoke of their torment rises how long? Forever and ever. And how much rest do these people get? There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are those who die in the Lord. They're living for the Lord from now on. Why? Because they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. You got a dichotomy here. Those people who choose to live for this wicked world system, specifically at this time frame in the seven-year tribulation, and they want to follow this wicked, satanic, anti-Christ worldly system, what is your payout? Oh, you get to buy and sell if you take the mark. You get to keep living for things. You get to be still a creature of this world. But what's the payout? You will be tormented forever and ever and ever. And you will never have rest. And yet, for those who follow God, what's the payoff? I get kind of crazy down here at times. And we do get busy. But we're going to have rest forever and ever and ever and dare I say when we live for God even on this earth take your greatest times with Jesus Christ your most intimate times with Jesus Christ which should be every day and when you're done with that great time of prayer that great time of just singing between you and Jesus and prayer time or studying the Bible or all three or hanging out with godly fellowship and you feel encouraged how do you feel No, you feel it rest, satisfied. Wow. Even on this crazy, restless earth. And so surely that's how we're living, right? We're we're showing people a, a taste of what's to come in Christ. Of eternity, a place that we get to rest. No more of this running around going crazy, this rat race and 
And so they see us at rest in this wicked world system and they're so restless that they go, whoa, can I have that? No, we're caught up just like the rest of them. One guy, he puts it this way. He said, this century's mad dash of innovation has produced the most frantic human era ever. We phone, we fax, we page, we email. We race from one end of the life to the other, rather even glancing over our shoulders. Technology, mass media, social media, the desire to do more. Do it better, do it yesterday. It's turned us into a world of hurriers. Stop and smell the roses. I ain't got time for that. Are you kidding me? No more. Instead, we got a world of seven-day diets, 24-hour news channels, one-hour photo, 30-minute pizza, 10-minute facials, two-minute warrants, and minute rice. We got fast food, fast computers, fast cars in the fast lanes, DVRs with five fast-forward settings, sound bites, rat race, instant coffee. Hey, get rich quick, live fast, die young, Leave a good-looking corpse run empty. Just do it. Places to go, people to meet, planners to fill, files to download, bills to pay, planes to catch, frozen dinners to nuke, websites to serve, kids to pick up, stress to manage, and speeding tickets to pay. Yo, yeah. I feel so good after that because last week was so hard. That peace thing. Anyway, whatever. I'm at rest. <laughs> but folks, we laugh at that because what? That's true, man. And I'm not talking the lost. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about us. We are just sucked into this system. And so it's like, I got to do this. And there's a, you know, you know. Where's the enticement to Jesus? And you can pass me like, I don't know what happened to you. Obviously over Thanksgiving, somebody sprayed chicken juice on you or something when you weren't looking. I don't know what's going on with you, but you're being too harsh here. I mean, okay, okay. So, so I live for retirement on earth more than retirement in heaven. I live for things on earth more than treasure in heaven. And <laughs> I join everybody else in this wicked world system living like a rat, you know, instead of giving the taste of heaven and the rest we get there and all that stuff. I mean, but, but everybody does it. Come on, what's the big deal? Big deal. I'll tell you the big deal. Listen to this. When you and I as Christians live like this, we're given the impression that the church, listen, is a bunch of people who have mental problems. Now, I didn't say that. This guy did. This is a cool, true story. The guy says, my brother Kevin, he thinks that God lives under the bed. At least that's what I heard him say one night. You see, he was praying out loud in his dark bedroom, and I I stopped outside his door to listen, and and he said, are you there, God? Where are you? Oh, oh, I see. You're under the bed. He said, after I heard this, I giggled, and I went off to my own room, and, and it was there I began to ponder... Kevin's unique perspective in life. He was born 30 years ago, mentally disabled, and as a result of difficulties uh, during labor, and I began to realize the first time the different world that Kevin lives in. I don't even think Kevin knows anything exists outside of his world. He doesn't know what it means to be discontent. His life is simple. He will never know the entanglements of wealth and power. He does not care about what brand of clothing he wears or what kind of food he eats. In fact, he recognizes no differences in people, and he treats everybody like a friend. His needs have always been met and, and he never worries that one day that they may not be and he just simply trusts God. Listen, and when it comes to Christ, he comes to him as a child. He said, Kevin seems to know God, to really be friends with him in a way that is difficult for an educated person to grasp. God seems like his closest companion and listen to what he says. That's why in my moments of doubt and frustrations in my walk with God, I actually begin to envy Kevin's simple faith and it's there that I realize that maybe Kevin's not the one with the handicap. Maybe it's me. Wow. God has a better plan for our time here on earth. It's called live for heaven, not this earth. 
be a stranger. We really, in a good sense, should have people coming up to us all the time going like, you're strange. No, I mean, really, you're, you're strange. And not just like Pastor Billy strange. I mean, you're really strange. You, I mean, you're in this world with me and I, I see you, I work with you, I interact with you, but you act like there's something better in this place. You, you don't get bogged down with the hurry and the worry and all the things of this world and you just, what is it? What makes you so strange? Have we lost that? Have we lost being strangers in a strange land like Abraham and Paul living for the world to come? And we wonder why people don't take us serious when we talk about heaven. We're not living for it anymore. And it's sad. Now in closing, if you don't want to listen to God, which I don't recommend by the way, and if you don't want to listen to that guy, which I thought was a fantastic way to give a synopsis about his brother, Kevin, who's really got the handicap here, then maybe you should listen to Satan. You tell me, folks, if living for this wicked world system, and that's all you live for, is not a satanic plot to keep you distracted from sharing the gospel, from serving Jesus Christ, and storing up treasure in heaven all the days of your life. It's been a couple years since I shared this. I thought, you know what? Perfect time once again. But here's what's going on. You tell me if you not got caught into the trap again. Let's take a look.
You be the judge. A couple years ago was the last time I shared that video. And then a couple years before that, I shared it back then. Many of you here were there for the last one, and maybe even both of them. And the typical good response in that challenge is like, wow, I got schnookered. But no more. I'm not living like that. I'm going to get back on track living for Jesus. I'm not living for this wicked world system. I'm not going to get caught up anymore. I'm going to serve him, seek him, share him. But let's be honest. I don't know your heart, but God does. Are you doing it again? If right now you're too busy to daily spend time with Jesus Christ, if you're too busy to serve Jesus Christ with the gifts that he gave you to serve other people, if you're too busy to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and become all things to all men, you're too busy. And it isn't just you're too busy. Guess what? You got snookered again. You're under Satan's yoke. The little G, the little God of this world, you've got tricked into stop living like a stranger. So get back on track. And this is why I keep saying it every time, folks. If we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, maybe it's time you just get out of the church. Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say and do literally affects people's eternal destinies all around us. It's high time we get rid of this practical amnesia thing. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of worldly, stressed out, rat race living people. We are the body of Jesus Christ, a body of strangers on our way to a place called heaven. And it's high time we let the world show them what that looks like here and now by how we live like Abraham, like Paul. Amen? That's the best gift we can give to anyone this Christmas. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. 
Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon 
so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you would confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.